God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in approachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever and ever. Amen. Once again, this weekend, I encourage you to have your worship folders open during this stretch of our service for this bit of Bible study, devotion together, both to the New Testament lesson from Paul's letter to Timothy and as well as the outline of the information we're going to work through. So it's focusing on you on different portions of this lesson. But let's start with just the first verses. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The Apostle Paul actually wrote to young Pastor Timothy, who knows what his income level was at the time, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In the book of the Proverbs in the Old Testament, the writer of chapter 30 leads us in prayer with similar words that read, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither property nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. These godly perspectives, whether New Testament or Old Testament, prove to be quite a challenge of perspective for any of us, right? After all, which one of us has actually prayed for less? But I need such mentors challenging me with such examples of godliness with contentment. Not only in the scriptures, but also in my life. How about you? I've actually been blessed in my life experience with older adults when I was younger and examples throughout my life. Personal relationships that have been a, this very example for me. I've also seen in my own life experiences with my own eyes this reality that's presented here of how inappropriate desire for wealth will so very often lead to dishonesty, falsehoods and lies and stealing. And that's why it's so beneficial for me personally to have believers around me who remind me to pray instead that my family and I have just enough, but not too much. I am challenged by this perspective of the Apostle and the Old Testament writer because the experienced believer knows that the main business of our lives is to trust in and daily rely upon the Lord. And that makes the honor of my God and your God the paramount 
purpose in our lives. Not our comfort, not our appetites and desires, not even any small thing that may be on any of our agendas. Not a one. So it's not a surprise that such a challenge to the perspective of godliness with contentment is located so textually close to what I would contend to be the most often misquoted verse in all of the Bible. In our culture, you will hear people saying it quite often without even mentioning that it comes from the Bible at all. You'll hear it, and you'll be lectured with this phrase as if it's an axiom for our lives, even though clearly it is not true. How often have you heard? Money is the root of all evil. But what Paul actually wrote? Take a moment, look back at that verse. What Paul actually wrote to Timothy? was that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Those are very, two very, very distinctly different statements. Ask any crime solver what the role of the love of money plays in so many kinds of evil. And they'll tell you, follow the money trail, and you will solve a whole lot of crimes. And that has always been true throughout human history. But money? According to the verses we have in front of us and throughout the Scriptures, money is actually a blessing. God tells us so throughout His Word that the material possessions that He provides are the way that He gives us wonderful opportunities for us to serve Him and thank Him by providing for our families, by supporting our government, by helping the poor, by proclaiming the gospel to the world. Understanding that wealth, that material possessions are actually a blessing from God, to be used to His glory is very helpful in our thinking about and understanding so many people in the Scriptures that many were of extreme wealth. Think of Job, Abraham, David and Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea in the New Testament, among many others who are faithful believers presented in both Old and New Testament that were on the receiving end of wonderful blessings from God. The problem never truly is with money or material itself. The problem is always with the human heart the sinful human heart and its attitude towards money. Human history and Bible history both play this out. They're both full of examples of that, and you and I most likely would turn first and foremost to Judas and how money turned him against his own Savior even though they had a very personal relationship. And he confessed faith in Jesus at times in his life. But there are other examples that we also would think of. The rich young ruler who came to Jesus and Jesus told him, you've got it all straight. You're, you're on the right track, but now go sell everything you own and give it all to the poor. He walked away from Jesus shaking his head because he knew he couldn't do it. And so we see Jesus telling parables about the rich man and poor Lazarus, the 
Rich fool who was a farmer who owned more and more ground every year as his crops came in, and he got to the point where he thought to himself, probably wouldn't have to work another day in my life if I just build big enough barns. And so he takes that biggest of all harvests of his life, and he piles it away and says to himself, eat, drink, and be merry. You got it made. And that night, God required of him his soul in death. And Jesus asked the question, after all that effort, who's going to get everything he's piled up for himself? If we were to make an exhaustive history, a list of every biblical figure exposed as a fool by their appetite and attitude toward material wealth, it would become quite extensive. But what we would find in that pursuit would be the simple fact that it is an equally equal opportunity temptation and sin. The poor and the wealthy both are plagued with a myriad of problems in life that stem from a love of money and a desire for more money. And it becomes easy to point at money as the problem, but the problem really in the end always proves to be the human heart. And that's why Paul encourages Timothy in the next verse to flee from all of this, and he clearly is referring to the love of money. And so what does he do? Take a look at the verse. He directs us instead to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. All of these things direct us away from all of this and toward the contentment of heart and life by pointing us outside of ourselves to completely unselfish pursuits. Paul makes the case here and in other places that our contentment will consistently grow at the center of our lives in proportion to our focus on God's Word, on God's love expressed in His Word, and on our trust of God to provide everything that we need. And so that turns our focus outward to showing our love for our generous God and then to our neighbor as well, hoping that our acts of generosity will also lead them to desire knowledge of this God who has made us content in all things. So Paul follows in verse 13 with an allusion to Jesus' second coming. And he clearly points out that you and I and every other human being that will ever live will eventually have to make an accounting before God of how we use God's gifts of money and material as his managers. This is extremely consistent with Jesus' own teaching in the last days and hours of his life. It's remarkable that on Tuesday and Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus spent a lot of time in the temple courts teaching about the last things. And in His teaching about last things, numerous different illustrations and applications of our relationship with material. The five wise and the five foolish virgins from that portion of Jesus' life. The sheep and the goats, determined as to be believers or unbelievers based on how they've lived their lives and how they've used their blessings. These are the moments that Jesus shared during the end of his life, pointing to his imminent return. 
speaking specifically about the talents given to some different than others, but all of them given for the purpose of growing them for God's glory, helping us to understand that Jesus' imminent return is a fitting reminder of just how temporary our lives are here, and thus also how temporary our ownership is of any one thing. We will not be taking anything with us into eternity. So as Jesus' forgiven brothers and sisters, we understand that his return is for the purpose of taking us with him into an eternity that will have far, far more than anything we could ever conceive the riches of this world supplying us. That's what we have to look forward to in the next life. An extremely wealthy man said at the very beginning of the previous century, when God, or rather when a poor man suddenly and unexpectedly finds his way into wealth, God either gains an ally or the devil claims a soul. Focusing on verses 17 to 19 in this lesson, we discover that Paul wholeheartedly agreed with that sentiment. Paul lists two grave dangers here that arise when God blesses anyone with wealth. The first would be a temptation to arrogance, to believing somehow that we must be especially blessed beyond others because we're entrusted with more than them. And the second and subsequent challenge is putting the ultimate trust in the riches rather than in the one who has determined to give those riches to us. So I have a question. When are you more comfortable? When are you more likely to be content? Is it when you've paid every last one of your monthly bills and you know that you have more than $10,000 balance in all of your accounts? Or is it when you've paid every last one of your bills and you sigh with relief that you only have a couple dollars in your account, but everything is paid for? The experienced believer would tell you it's a faulty premise in the question in the first place. It should not matter what the checkbook says. Is the chief reason that you and I are building up material resources in our life that we are hoping that we have to be less and less dependent on our God on a daily basis for what he has labeled himself as our daily bread? God instructs us and challenges us to mirror his open hands with the material possessions he provides us. He calls on us to reflect our faith in our day-to-day world by using our money, by using our material resources to serve others in all the ways that he gives us opportunity. And that true faith-based and contentment and reliance on God often becomes one of the very biggest challenges for us in our Christian living. And that's simply because we all, almost always, 
want or at least prefer more. Our idols are insatiable. Jesus insisted that no one, remember the gospel lesson for today, no one can serve two masters, not even you or me. And he puts it more bluntly towards the end of that account when he says, in so many words, you cannot serve both God and money. No one can ever be devoted to each at the same time. So whatever our idols or our gods might be, they're going to demand our time. They're going to demand our devotion, our attention, our witness with the promise of satisfaction and fulfillment of all of our needs and desires in return. But money, material, will never, ever be able to fulfill that promise. Only God truly can ever do that. A wise professor of my youth once mused, there are many things that God will put up with in the human heart. But second place will never be one of them. In fact, here in our verses, Jesus made God's focus on giving rather than receiving and keeping very clear through his apostle. We're told in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, as one of the evangelists recalls Jesus' ministry, saying that Jesus often said it is better to give than to receive. And that truth needs to shape our priorities when it comes to our worship offerings, when it comes to providing for our families, when it comes to paying our taxes and supporting others in need. Every way we offer to God, give back to God, what he has called on us to do in our lives is a display of trust in our Savior and a truly small token of thanksgiving to God as a display of trust for everything he has given us in eternity and every last blessing that he's going to share with us on our journey there. And you and I have to admit that we often get to see God doing amazing things through the offerings that we provide our church, through the charitable donations and our time that we extend to our causes and through the investment that we make in the lives of our children and our grandchildren and also through the vast spectrum of blessings that our local, state, and federal governments supply us with our taxes. Those are all, by God's design, ways that our lives are better, that our lives are easier, that our lives are more fulfilling Those are all good acts of God. And every good act truly deserves to be thanked in order to be considered completed. Here's what I mean by that. Think for a moment of a time in your life when an unexpected and anonymous gesture, a gift of generosity from someone else made an outstanding difference in your journey through this life in that moment. Think on that and think how your heart yearned 
maybe even churned for knowing who it was that had given you that gift that you might be able to not only thank them, but in some way in the future maybe demonstrate to them your appreciation for the difference they have made in your life. But you never know who it was. Well, the perfect place to start is in thanking your God for giving his good gifts to that person and motivating them, hopefully through faith in Jesus Christ, to be the generous donor in your life that you needed in that moment. Then personally and enthusiastically, engage in your supporting your church and its functioning and your local culture and in all the ways that it reaches those that are in need. Caring for those in need with gospel hope, with material support and relationship investment out of sincere thanks to Jesus will always be far more fulfilling than being helped ourselves. I recall numerous occasions during my time in ministry that I have visited people in hospitals or in care center type settings who have spent their lives serving others, literally spending themselves for others. And they're so uncomfortable in this moment toward the end of their lives when there are so many other people having to serve them. It's a beautiful reminder that God is the one that determines both sides of this equation. And there will be moments in our lives when it is our job to let others serve us, to be God's hands, to be God's heart for us in moments of our need as a way to express their own love and faith. Godliness with contentment, as Paul defines it here, will never be about having enough. It will always be about being thankful for what we have. Martin Luther once quipped that money must actually be one of the very least of all of God's blessings because he even gives it generously, sometimes very generously, to complete fools. His point is that there are so many, many other things for far more important that are blessings in this life for us to treasure and pursue than money. The first would certainly be faith, our health, family, vocation, friendship. If we were to make a list this morning, it could go on and on and on. But God promises you here and in so many other places in the Scriptures that if you make your life You make your energies, your focus, your investment in others all about the things that God tells you are the most important. Godliness with contentment will follow. Amen. Please stand. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever.
Amen.